Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Roughly six hours of watching, listening to, and consuming ESPN for the most overused, phrased, and all of sports to be used yet again. Last night, the Butler did it. Everybody keeps saying it. I just wanted to get in on the trend. Jimmy Butler with a massive night, 35 points, including 20 in the second half. The Heat use a huge third quarter and take down the Celtics in game one. Miami gets the one nothing series lead. Fitz and Harry, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry, one show yesterday sat here. One show said, hey, why are we counting out the Heat when the fact is the Heat have beaten better teams than the Celtics in this year's playoffs. Why are we simply dismissing the greatness of Jimmy Butler? Why are we saying the Heat are just going to be stomped on and passed by the Celtics? One show said that yesterday. It was this show. Damn it, I'm not right very long, so very often. So when I am, I like to just toot my own horn. HD, they came through last night. Yes, they did. And it's like, you know, mama and grandma tell you, a hard <laughs> head makes a soft ass. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you better not count out Jimmy Butler anymore because the man is phenomenal. And for me, Fitz, watching Jimmy Butler play, especially in the playoffs at a very, very high level, level, it's the mentality that he carries. It's the toughness, physically and mentally. The accountability that he has when things don't go right, right? He's reliable. Everyone in that Heat organization from Pat Riley down can rely on Jimmy Butler to get things done. He is a leader, a massive leader at that. And last but not least, Fitz, he is a gamer. And I think this point right here that I'm about to make next is going to be probably one of the most important when it comes to a superstar player. He didn't shy away from wanting Jason Tatum. He didn't shy away from it. That's how you know his mindset is on another level. His mindset is, you know what? I'm going to put this team on my back. I'm going to guard the best player for the Boston Celtics. And I'm also going to give him 35 a 30 plus and go out there and get game one on the road in TD Garden. And then I'm going to go back to the hotel room and ice my body so I can try to do it again in game two. I mean, they steal game one. They steal home court advantage. And to your point, Harry, I love what you said about the mindset because all I keep thinking about, and I was thinking about this watching the game. I watched most of it last night and a bunch of it this morning, trying to soak it in and figure out what happened in the third quarter. And there's a lot of specifics to get into. But with Jimmy Butler specifically, there is one thing that just kept hitting me last night. And I'm not trying to troll 76ers fans. I'm not trying to hurt a fan base that's already knocked down right now. I just kept Ooh, you about to come with it. I, I know. Come with that heat. Come it, with it, Fitz. Embiid is sitting there saying, hey, you know what? I can't win this alone. Harden and I can't win this alone. I'm watching Jimmy Butler last night say, screw it. I'll win this alone if I have to. And he didn't have to. Everybody else rose above. But there was this moment of this expectation. You've talked about it with LeBron. We've talked about it with some of the great players in this year's playoffs. When the greats rise in their intensity, in their give a damn, in the way that they attack throughout the course of a game, when the greats rise in their production, everybody else around them just feels like they get that. They get that. Like you say, say it with your chest all the time. One of the easiest things to do if you're 
standing in the room is to say it with your chest if you're the second guy, the other guy, the third guy. If the main guy is doing that much work. What we saw last night from the Heat was that Jimmy Butler came out, said it with his chest over and over and over again in a way that just took all the pressure off of everybody else. Everybody else had to deliver. But last night was about Jimmy Butler reminding you one man can will a team to a victory. And I think also, Fitz, when you look at a guy like Jimmy Butler and what he's been able to do, right? Recorded his second career role playoff game with 30 points, five rebounds, five assists, and five steals. The only other player to do that twice on the road since steals were first tracked in 1973 to 1974 is my GOAT, Michael Jordan. And guess what Jimmy Butler has? The mindset of Michael Jordan. Now, it's his own mindset, but we all know and we measure a lot of people, uh, people's mentalities against Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, the way they approach the game. Jimmy Butler, it's never, it's never questioned. It's mm-hmm. never questioned. And his mindset trickles down to the rest of the players on that basketball team. This Miami Heat squad has... Free agent or undrafted player after undrafted player. But when you have a guy, Jimmy Butler, that can carry the load but also has that dog mentality that he can get the job done no matter who's on the court with him, this team is without Tyler Hero, right? They're without Victor Oladipo, a guy who's supposed to be in the rotation. And they're still finding a way to win because of the play of Jimmy Butler, but also the mindset of Jimmy Butler. And that's a lot to be said for. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget tonight, Lakers Nuggets on ESPN and ESPN Radio. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. You talk about mindset. Eric Spolstra, one of the great NBA coaches of all time. I think we can all say that at this point. Eric Spolstra at his press conference afterwards was asked to quantify the effect that Jimmy Butler has on this Heat team. There's just a settling effect that uh, it's impossible to quantify that like, all right, we're in striking distance. Let's just settle into our game and um, you know, Jimmy will make a bunch of plays, Bam will make a bunch of plays and, and we'll be all right and everybody can just fit into their roles. But that's what the, the great players, you know, do. So, Harry, I, I, I want to take this to, you know, you know me. I'm going to take it to a music analogy for a second. But you know a bunch of people in the music business. One thing I always got asked, and I still get asked by people that want to make it in music, is like, what, what do you look for? And the answer generically that a record label head will tell you, it factor. And the, the, and the immediate follow-up question is, what is it factor? And I, I've never known how to quantify it. You just know when you step in the room and you, you can see a great singer or a great violinist or a great musician on stage over and over and over again. And you can see the best in the world on stage and you still don't feel it. But every once in a while you see somebody on stage that just has that different level, that it factor. And while you're watching it, it hits you different. You're like, look, I can't tell you why this guy has it, air quotes, but they do and you can feel it. That's what you feel with Jimmy Butler. There's just an authenticity and an it factor to the way that he plays with this intensity that when you're watching it, it gives you goose. If you're just watching on your TV like I was, you're getting goosebumps watching somebody do what he does the way he does it. Well, you're damn right. I can feel it, and I feel it when I'm watching a Jimmy Butler-led team. So much to why I go to singing a damn song. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Because over and over again, like, I, I go back to the playoff series against the Milwaukee Bucks, right? When they're down double digits in games in the fourth quarter, but you believe that Jimmy Butler's going to be able to get it done. Then you, they throw him a lob, tip pass, you know, game gets sent into overtime, and then the Miami Heat prevails and wins that game. 
You look at last night when the fourth quarter came and the Boston Celtics went on a little run and came back and cut the lead close. Everything went through Jimmy Butler and you knew he was going to make the right play. But not only the right play on the offensive end, taking the basketball away from the Boston Celtics as well on the defensive end. So he see, he's not a one-trick pony. See, he can, he, his, his game is all around and he can do a multiplicity of different things on the basketball court as well as give you 30, 40, 50 and look at you like you a sad-ass puppy. Like, I don't care <laughs> nothing about you. And then tell the 76ers, you chose that bum over me in so many words. I mean, it, it is. It's You're right. And it's alarming when you see him do that, right? Because here's the thing I say all the time. The weirdest part about what we do for a living is every day we come in and we sit in front of a microphone and we analyze what we see, which is a little bit like having to write a book report after every chapter of a book. Now, after one chapter, it might look one kind of way. And after two, it might look totally different. But we have to write a book report. That's what we do. In my mind, whatever the Heat did in the first chapter of this book, whatever the Heat did in the play-in in this book, doesn't matter. Because right now, if you just look at the chapters we're getting in this moment, Jimmy Butler is giving us greatness over and over and over again. Now, we may not have all known it. He did. He was asked afterwards if he expected to be here. The answer, not surprising. Damn right. I did. Damn right. We did. And the best part about it is we still don't care what none of y'all think. Honestly speaking, um, we don't care if you pick us to win. We never have. We never will. We know the group of guys we have in this locker room. We know that Coach Bo puts so much confidence and belief in each and every one of us. Coach Pat as well. And so our circle's small, but this circle got so much love for one another. Pump, constant confidence into everybody. And we go out there and we hoop. We play basketball the right way, knowing that we always got a chance. This, this team is the eight seed, Fitz. This team lost the first play-in game to the Hawks and then won the second play-in game versus the Chicago Bulls. So a lot of people counted them out. They didn't have the best regular season, right? But w- what we do know is that a year ago before this season started, this was the number one team in the Eastern Conference. So they had that DNA. And they've had that DNA since Jimmy Butler has gotten there to resurge the Miami Heat. So... They like their chances as long as they got Jimmy Butler as their leader. Everything else falls in line. In the second half alone, Jimmy Butler had 20 points, five assists, and four steals. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. All right, so for all of the praise we're giving Jimmy Butler, let's be very clear about one thing. The Celtics lost the game, but they won three of the four quarters throughout the course of the game. Problem is, if they changed one thing, maybe this entire outcome would have been different. We'll tell you what that one thing could have been next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Around and down! A dagger three by Butler to push the lead 
to 10. Miami takes a 1-0 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals. We're just playing really good basketball. More than anything, we're staying together. Got to win, but um, that's not uh, enough for us, and we want to get another one. The Boston Celtics had a nine-point lead entering the third quarter. They entered the fourth quarter with a 12-point deficit. They were outscored by 21 points in the third quarter alone. And the only timeout that they took during that entire process was the TV timeout at 628 of the third quarter. In fact, how much different is strategy? I will credit Bill Simmons for pointing out. Miami scored 46 third quarter points. The Celtics never called a timeout. The Celtics went on a 7-0 run to start the fourth quarter. Spo immediately calls the timeout 94 seconds in. Difference in strategy we are all questioning today. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Harry, I know you saw it, I saw it, and we're all sitting there. And I get that everybody's going to tell me it's part of the identity, letting guys play through it. When you are getting your ass kicked like that in the third quarter, you can't let anybody play through anything. you got to rein it in at some point. I don't understand the strategy. Uh, uh, me, the Fitz, and yesterday I'm playing with my son now, and, and he falls off the bunk bed and he starts bleeding a little toy uh, cuts him so immediately we can't continue to play the game because damn it bleeding has started so my job as a father now i gotta call a timeout to stop the bleed so i had to give him a band-aid well joe Missoula, you might want to start calling these timeouts because the miami heat in the third quarter at the 10 33 mark to the 802 mark in the third quarter went on a 13 to 1 run Without you calling the timeout. And to be exact, in the entire third quarter, in which the Heat outscored the Boston Celtics 46-25, he didn't call a timeout at all. So it's it's mind-boggling to me that you can watch your team go through these moments and not call a timeout to try to stop the run that the Miami Heat is on. It's just common sense and common basketball head coaching one-on-one. I mean, I could put anybody out there. I mean, I'm pretty sure they would know to call a timeout. I I don't care if you're talking rec league basketball, high school basketball, college basketball. We all know that this is happening. And it's in the garden. So, like, not only is your team shell-shocked, so is your crowd. Sometimes I think you got to factor in home court also in that situation. You call that timeout, you not only do you get your team recentered, but you let the crowd sort of get their feet under them and realize in that moment that they can be a difference maker. Instead, you just sit there and get shellacked. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. Missoula was going to be asked about it. This is Joe Missoula, the Celtics head coach. At the press conference afterwards, I want you to hear the question, too. He was asked why he didn't call a timeout. Going up against Spolstra, who's constantly making adjustments on the fly, willing to kind of call timeouts and change things up so quickly, how did you balance like trying to let things play out in the ways you usually do versus like having to seize control? I called two in the first quarter. Thinking more like the third quarter. No, I don't call two in the first quarter. Save it for the third quarter run. Oh, my goodness. Like, th- this is the part that's starting to bother me a little bit with Joe Mazzula. He's he's allowing his feelings to be too much involved in these post-game interviews, right? And I think the game of basketball for his team and also the players that are out there, the game is bigger than his feelings. And I think he needs to get out of them. He's in his feelings entirely too much. What the hell does you calling two timeouts in the first quarter have to do with you not calling a timeout in the third quarter when the Miami Heat went on a run? 
Like, Fitz, help me understand because I really no, don't. There, there is no explanation because the Celtics gave up the most points they've ever given up in any one quarter in NBA playoff team history. Like, that, I don't give a damn what you did in the first quarter. What you did doesn't matter if you are getting absolutely slaughtered. And you, you know, I think it's funny you mentioned feelings because if you think that was in his feelings, you got to hear this. This is Missoula again, Celtics head coach at the press conference. And he was asked what I think could be a touchy question for a lot of coaches about whether or not they were proper properly prepared for the heat and this is how that all went down you said they played harder than you in the third quarter that's what they do they play harder than their opponent how are you guys unprepared for that and we we were prepared we played harder than them in the first half and then they outplayed us for one quarter so we were prepared for it we had the right mindset heading into the game but no no no. we had the right mindset heading into the game we played harder than they did and we were prepared and we did a great job made all the difference right it did but we were prepared and then we let go of the rope and so there's two storylines here. It's one, we were ready to play, and we had a great job executing on both ends of the floor in the first half. And it's about the consistency of they're going to continue to play. And so we have to be prepared um, for when we do outplay them, that they're going to respond and we have to respond. And so we were prepared. We just let go of the rope. Yeah. Well, Why did you let go of the rope? I don't know. It's a great question. Well, I think from a coaching perspective, Coach Mazul, I think you need to be more prepared if – it's evident that they're going to make a run, especially when you're up, to call timeouts properly when you need to call them. Like, all that goes hand-in-hand hand with one another. But you can be prepared for the first and second quarter, but even not prepared for the third quarter, in which we've seen teams – let's just take the Golden State Warriors for an example. They're a third-quarter team a lot of the times, right? They make their runs. you got to try to prepare for that. And if you're not prepared for that, you call a timeout. Same thing, Joe Missoula. If you know the Miami Heat going down, I think they was down 9 or 11 at halftime, are going to come out blistering, you got to get your guys up. And if your guys aren't putting forth the efforts or, you know, offensively doing things correctly or defensively doing things correctly, then it's your job as the head coach, as the overseer, to give the referee the signal that you want to call timeout so you could calm guys down. I mean, let, let's go back to your playing days. Uh, Harry, and F- Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, Fitz in here. I should know the name of the show. Presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's go back to your playing days for a second, Harry. Y'all knew and you studied what, what team's tendencies were. So if you were facing a team in the NFL that you knew came out of the half and was always just lights out in the third quarter, your coaches were you preparing you for that all week. That was a conversation point all week. You go into halftime. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you go into halftime and the coach is reminding you, hey, man, they're going to have a run in the beginning of the third quarter. We got to withstand that. We got to be able to do X, Y, and Z, right? Like that's part yep. of what a coach prepares you for when they know who they're taking on. And Fitz, I think I had a case when I was playing with the Falcons in 2012 when we had the number one seat, 13 and three. We had a tendency, like when we got up on teams, that we wouldn't call the game the same going into the second half. So it, it, it's it, and then teams would come back. Well, that's that's part of coaching. That's part of coaching. Like call the game the same way that you did in the first half. And if you don't have things the way in the manner that you want them in, then call timeout and regroup and start putting your, your foot back on the gas pedal. It's, it's that simple. And it, it, all I want from every coach. And this is a big ask, I know. But all I want from every coach is to be putting athletes in the positions where they can be the best versions of themselves. Say it one more time. Say it one more time. Put athletes in the best position where where they can be the best version of themselves. That's like, I look at coaching like if you ever watch food TV, if you ever watch the show Chopped, 
I want my head coach of any sport to open up the basket of ingredients and sit there and say, okay, these are the ingredients I have to work with. How am I going to make a winning dish? That's all I want from a coach. To me, when your guys are drowning out there and you're watching it happen in the third and you do nothing in a, in a quarter that you gave up a historic four-year franchise number of points, the only answer that you can give at that press conference is, man, I screwed that up. Like, Because at some point, you got to have that avail- uh, uh, ability to be honest with everybody involved in the process. And you're right. I feel like feelings are becoming bigger than facts here in this process. Well, it's just entirely too many times now that Joe Mazzula is going in this post-game interview and, you know, he's making it a me versus the media type thing because they're asking him questions about the game that he's coaching. And I, and I think what he's trying to accomplish, you're trying to get to an NBA Finals and win an NBA championship, is bigger than your feelings. Detach your feelings from the equation because at the end of the day, it's going to hurt your basketball team if you don't. We have plenty that we're going to break down on the Eastern Conference matchup we saw, but obviously tonight we have Lakers Nuggets on ESPN, ESPN Radio. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. on ESPN Radio. That's Eastern time. So with the Lakers down 0-1 in this Western Conference Finals, what if I told you there are some experts that think the pressure right now actually lies on Denver tonight? We'll explain why next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. The Denver Nuggets continue to roll, winning game one of the Western Conference Finals at home. How will LeBron, AD, and the Lakers respond? Find out in game two of the Nuggets and Lakers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins tonight at 8 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Nuggets continue to roll, winning game one of the Western Conference Finals at home. How will LeBron, AD, and the Lakers respond? Find out in game two of the Nuggets and Lakers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins tonight at 8 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get back to the Eastern Conference final matchup that we saw last night. And a hell of a game from the Miami Heat. But we've got some Western Conference action to break down, as you just heard right there. You can listen to coverage beginning at 8 p.m. on ESPN Radio. ESPN NBA analyst Jeff Van Gundy joining us now on the show. Jeff, always appreciate your time. Let's start from a coaching standpoint here because a lot of conversation about the adjustment Darvin Ham made in the fourth quarter with uh, Hachimura covering Jokic. Are, are we making too big a deal of that? Is that a sustainable strategy in your mind? Well, certainly it's a sustainable option. I think oftentimes, though, we underestimate what uh, star players like Jokic can do against any matchup. And so, you know, certainly um, it was very effective in game one in the fourth quarter. I think the spacing component of what Aaron Gordon needs to do to make himself more available uh, as Anthony Davis sort of clogs the paint um, is an improvement the Nuggets can make. And so, I think it's certainly viable. It may even be what's best for the Lakers against Jokic, but that doesn't mean Jokic and the Nuggets can't come up with suitable and sustainable answers to those questions. 
And coach, I got to ask you because Anthony Davis in that game was phenomenal. Had 40 points, 10 rebounds, played 42 minutes. LeBron James played 40 minutes, um, had 26 points, one assist shy of a triple-double. If you were the coach of this team right now, how would you manage LeBron and AD tonight, or you, or would you not manage them? Well, I, I think the reason this whole load management thing was initially used as a strategy um, is to, to make sure or to try to give the best odds that your best players would be healthy, available, and could play heavy minutes in the playoffs. So to me, there's no managing once you get to the playoffs. You're trying to win the next game. That may involve, you know, 42 to 44 minutes for your best players, or maybe it doesn't, depending on how well your bench plays. Both teams, I think, have bench concerns and bench questions. Both were reduced basically to playing seven guys in the last game, which is going to lead to heavy minutes. And it'll be interesting to see for me to see do both teams play the same seven-and-a-half-man rotation tonight or do they extend it or do they try to find somebody different to insert? Um, But James and Davis have to play huge minutes if they're to win. Well, and that has me thinking. We're talking to Jeff Van Gundy, ESPN NBA analyst. has me thinking about the frantic pace for the Nuggets, particularly early on in this game, because we hear so much about uh, only a day's rest and altitude and all of these things. In your mind, can the Nuggets maintain that pace of play throughout the course of this series? Well, I thought they played with a tremendous pace, and it's the weakest part of L.A.'s defensive game. Their transition defense has been... Uh, poor the entire year. Their half-court defense has been phenomenal, particularly since the trade deadline and all the uh, roster changes that they went through. So I think Denver has to try to play uh, with terrific uh, pace and energy to exploit L.A.'s greatest weakness. But because L.A. got to the free-throw line 20 times in the second half and they shot the ball so well and scored so efficiently, it basically eliminated opportunities for Denver's transition game to take hold in the second half. And coach, I got to ask you because the point guard play, I I love point guard play when it comes to playoff basketball and Dennis Schroeder didn't have the best game. D'Angelo Russell didn't have the best game for the Los Angeles Lakers moving forward. Does any one of those guys have to be better than they were in game one, or is it just a sense of LeBron James and Anthony Davis is going to have to make this thing work by all means necessary? I think LeBron James, I think they're best when LeBron James is the primary decision maker. Uh, I thought he was really good in the second half and he doesn't like playing like this, just playing bully ball in the low post against smaller non Aaron Gordon defenders, just, just attacking them time and time again. I think Schroeder's impact is going to be defensively. I think he was terrific in the fourth quarter against Murray. He stopped trying to go under the high pick and roll, fought over. He's got, you know, great feet, toughness, anticipation. Uh, I think he's got to play a a really big role. And D'Angelo Russell um, is not as adept defensively, but he can score. And I think the Lakers are going to need that scoring if they're to win the series. So I think he he can be a lot better in game two. 
Is there an adjustment you've got your eye on tonight from either side that you think will make a huge difference? I think the spacing issue with Aaron Gordon when Davis guards him is a huge thing. And I think the second thing the Nuggets have to ask themselves is when a perimeter player sets a screen on the ball for LeBron James, when Aaron Gordon's guarding James, do we want to switch that? And if we do switch that, if that's what we want to do, how are we going to handle after the switch when LeBron James just backs down the smaller Nuggets wing players, whether it's Caldwell Pope or Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown, it doesn't really matter. How do we want to guard that? I think, to me, those two things are imperative for the Nuggets, along with do we want to play Christian Brown? And if so, how can we help the unit without Jokic and Brown in? How can we help that unit be more successful? Coach, I got. I'm laughing when you when you say his last name because I heard you on the broadcast. Oh, uh, talk it's, about- ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. You can't have two guys like have their name pronounced the same with totally different spellings. It, it's like I know people don't think it's a huge issue in America today, but I do. Like I'm like, no, this guy is just like freelancing his own spelling. And his own pronunciation. <laughs> oh God, this is this is amazing. Uh, we always appreciate your time. I got to get one in just in general on the NBA. I know we've got a lot with the Western Conference, but obviously with your coaching background, got to ask you: the Suns, Sixers, Bucks, all three title contenders, all have head coach openings. From your eyes, which job do you think is the most appealing? Oh, they're all tremendous jobs, but just understand that. Uh, there has been an incredible devaluation of the regular season in all forms in the NBA. Uh, The media doesn't value the regular season. All they say is you should rest and take games off and don't play big minutes and regular season wins don't matter. Uh, That's filtered down to organizations who feel the same way. No, it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season, just qualify for the playoffs. And so what you saw is, like, a number one seed in Milwaukee change, um, a terrific Phoenix team who was a fourth seed and had battled a lot of injuries change, and then in the, uh, you know, Philadelphia, they were the third seed. And so all three organizations basically said, well, what these coaches have done in their time here, uh, it's only about – the playoffs and it's only about this year's playoffs. And so that's a tough spot to be in. If, if you're a coach, um, different organizations have different levels of patience. You see, uh, you know, Denver, for instance, they've had up and down things due to, you know, injuries and rosters and all that. And Michael Malone's in his eighth year, right? So they've had great patience. And then you see someone like Milwaukee, who Giannis missed basically two and three quarters games and they lose a first round series. Uh, they have no patience. Uh, last year they lost in game seven to Boston and they're one of the organizations who haven't really put a, a heavy emphasis on uh, home court advantage. And 
they lost a game seven on the road uh, in Boston without Chris Middleton. So they've been impacted the last two you know, years by significant injuries to their best players. And the level of patience um, it shows you there's really uh, a devaluation of what the regular season means. It, it's, it means nothing to so many people. And I think it's a bad... I think it's a bad um, course we're on in the NBA where over and over and over again we give no, no credit to teams and coaches and players who play well and are available in the regular season. I think it's a bad path we're on. Brilliantly said, Jeff. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Okay, take care. Jeff Van Gundy, ESPN NBA analyst. All right, speaking of the game tonight – one expert thinks it's a must-win, but not for the team that you think. We'll tell you why. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Nuggets continue to roll, winning game one of the Western Conference Finals at home. How will LeBron, AD, and the Lakers respond? Find out in game two of the Nuggets and Lakers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins tonight at 8 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. What constitutes a must-win? If you've listened to this show for more than a few seconds, you realize that usually I roll my eyes to the concept of a must-win game early in a series. But that doesn't mean that my ears don't perk up. And that happened this morning when a must-win conversation went a different direction than I expected. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance, watching Get Up this morning. And we always, as a show, I feel like we're texting during Get Up because we're listening to what our peers have to say and seeing if it, it changes our thought processes on anything. That's part of our sort of show process, right? So this morning, there was a question of, is tonight a must-win for the Lakers? Now, as I just alluded to, Harry, I don't love must-win anyway in Game 2, so I sort of rolled my eyes at it. But then I heard Alan Hahn, host of Parton Hahn on ESPN, in 98.7 in New York say this about who is actually in a must-win situation tonight. Call me crazy. I think the pressure is more on Denver. Mm. Because you, if you're Denver and you get the 2-0 lead, like this is, there's more pressure on them to say that we got to take control of the series. We're home. Take control of the series before you go on the road because the split is what obviously is the old cliche. It's what the road team's looking to get. Mm -hmm. So if you give them the split, game three now suddenly becomes a game in the balance for the series that you don't want to give the Lakers momentum and any kind of just feeling like they can win this series. So this has to be pedal to the metal, go up 2-0, and then go on the road. No, right. I, 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 don't, I don't agree. I don't, think, I don't think game two is a must win for Denver because you can't sit up here and tell me that you know, if this series goes to seven games or if it goes to six, that the Denver Nuggets can't win one game on the home court of the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, I, I, I don't agree with that. 
or if it goes to seven. Like, you know what I mean? Well, and neither team's lost uh, at home right now in the playoffs, right? So, in my mind, I just keep thinking about, look, one of the two teams in this series. Here's Captain Obvious. I'm going to put on my Captain Obvious cape, my Captain Obvious tights. I'm going to play the Captain Obvious song, and then I'm going to come in and tell you. Somebody's going to have to win a road game. So, like, is there pressure on L.A. to win in Denver at some point? Yes. Is there pressure on Denver to win in L.A.? In theory, yes. I mean, they could close it out at home. I get that if it goes seven. But there is some pressure to win on the road for anybody. And if somebody, you know, if the Lakers win tonight, will game three be chocked full of pressure? Yeah, it'll make our jobs easy. We'll just get here to sit here, sit here the whole time. We'll just talk about who's under more pressure. I think the very beginning, this is what Han said at the very beginning. Call me crazy. I think the pressure is more on Denver. Now, that part of it, I don't think it's a must-win for either. But if you're just saying the pressure's more on Denver, I can buy a little of that argument simply because Denver wants to defend home court, right? You want to keep home court. Is it some catastrophic level of pressure? No. Uh, is Denver feeling some kind of way about it? No. Like, am I expecting Denver to pucker up the way that the Celtics did? No. Like, I, I think it's just a matter of, yeah, you don't want to go back to L.A. 1-1 if you can avoid it. But that's also sort of, I, I think you and I agree, this series is going to play itself out not over the even if it's 0-2 and the Lakers are going back to LA I'm not panicking me either and here's the funny thing about it right because a lot of people may think the pressure's on Denver to win this game too are we forgetting that we're talking about the Denver Nuggets playing against a LeBron James who a lot of people consider as their GOAT also, uh, Anthony Davis, who people are saying is going to be up in the rafters in the Los Angeles Lakers um, uh, building. So you have two players that, that, that at the upper echelon level, right? So I'm pretty sure they can win a game on the road. But then we also talk about Nikola Jokic, a guy who was a back-to-back MVP award winner and, and how Jamal Murray is playing right now, uh, shooting the basketball very effectively. I'm pretty sure the Denver Nuggets can win a game on the road. So that's why I don't think it's a must win for Denver. But when you look at who the two teams actually have on their teams, I think both teams can win a game on the road. Like you just said, Fitz. I think this is like, look, it's a tall task. If you look back at the entirety of the regular season, both the Lakers and Nuggets had losing records on the road. Like that's just a fact. Teams in the NBA don't play well on the road. We've seen it in the playoffs. But how many times this year have we come in after two games and thought, oh, my God, this thing looks some kind of way, and then it just goes goes the opposite. To me, in this game, sure, if the Lakers get a win, now it ramps up the pressure. If the Lakers lose, it ramps up pressure. There are things that ramp up pressure. But everything about this series is going to be about game three, not about game two. Game two is key to game three, but I don't think either team is going to look at this series as a win or a loss based on tonight. I mean, we literally just watched the Philadelphia 76ers be up 3-2 and thought they were going to win that series. And the Boston <laughs> Celtics went to Philly, won that game, and then won a game at home, and they advanced. At, at the very least, we are pig-headed as a group as we continue to cover the NBA because we're, we're Charlie Brown running after the football. We're falling for it every single round. I will not do it this time. There will be no declarations of must-win unless our next expert tells me I've lost my damn mind because she's smart enough. I'll listen to her. Fitz and Harry, we'll talk to an expert about it next. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.